We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So we were walking home from school one day. Uh, I was about 11 years old. And for some reason, this girl, Jennifer, missed the bus and she was walking home as well. And my friends started calling her names. And I stayed quiet. This happened every day at school anyway. Uh, But then a couple of them started picking up rocks and throwing them in her general direction. Not hitting her, but scaring her. And then they told me to do it. And I picked up a rock. And I lobbed it over in her direction. Now, I was just a kid, right? Made a dumb choice. But, but Jesus said, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, like, you want to be like kids. So maybe he's talking about the younger ones. Uh, let's, let's rewind a little bit further. Third grade. That was sixth grade. Third grade, maybe I, I looked a little better as a kid then, right? Like, third grade, that was the year I learned to swear like a sailor. It's the year I got in my first fist fight. It's also the year that one day at lunch in the school cafeteria, the hot dogs they were serving looked disgusting, and I couldn't eat it. So my friend told me, who grew up Catholic, hey, just go tell that teacher that you gave up pork for Lent, and then like, she'll give you whatever else you want to eat. I didn't know how pocket Lent was going to get me out of eating this hot dog. Uh, I didn't understand what this thing was, but I sold that lie really well. And I went to my teacher, said, I can't eat this because of Lent. And uh, she was like, come on, let's go. And she loaded up a plate of delicious food for me from the teacher's lounge. And every bite I took tasted like guilt, but I ate that whole plate up. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's not the age Jesus is talking about, right? Uh, maybe it's like even younger than that, right? Maybe it's, it's the, the even younger kids. Well, we know they had to have been like old enough to walk because Jesus called a kid up and said, come stand here with me while he, he gave this demonstration. There's a lot of kids in this room, so I would love to take a poll. How many of you have never done anything wrong? Okay. Uh, thanks for being honest. Yeah. That was a lot easier than I thought it was going to have to be. Parents. How many of you in here know children are not perfect? Yeah. I'm glad, that, I'm glad that we're doing this on a fourth Sunday when all the kids are in here so that we can finally clear the air and just say it straight to your faces, kids. You are not as great as people say you are. You're not that awesome. I'm just kidding. You're all lovely. You're beautiful. Boys and girls made in the image of God. There's so many great things about you. But what I'm saying is we're all in this together, right? We're all a big hot mess. We all make mistakes. We all get selfish. We all tell lies. We all do some hurtful things to other human beings around us. And so what does Jesus mean exactly when he says, in order to come into my kingdom, I want you to be like these children? Because a lot of times when I would hear that taught before, it would sound like, you know, children are just so sweet and innocent. Like that's what Jesus wants us to be like. 
but they're really not that sweet and innocent, are they? And so maybe another way I've heard that taught is what Jesus actually means is, you know, kids, they're kind of naive. They'll believe anything you tell them. And so like when when a parent tells a kid something, they usually just tend to believe them because that's their parent. And maybe Jesus was saying like, hey, when you hear of my kingdom, I want you to just believe it blindly. Enter in with that kind of faith. Well, you'll just believe anything I tell you. But that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of what we find in the scriptures. That we have a reasonable faith. Come and let's reason together. That, That we're called to test and examine things with the scriptures, that, that we're to do this in community, in dialogue with one another. If, if we're that gullible and naive, that we just believe anything told to us, then how do we know which thing to believe? Because there's a lot of the church saying a bunch of different things, and then there's a lot of people outside of the church saying a bunch of different things. So that can't be what Jesus meant. And I don't think you guys, kids especially, I don't think Jesus called a little kid up in front of a crowd and said, be naive like this little guy or girl. Just believe whatever's told you. I don't think Jesus treated children that way. In fact, next chapter over, chapter 19, when people are bringing children to Jesus and his disciples are like, well, we don't have time for that. Stop sending these kids up to Jesus. Then Jesus rebukes his disciples And he's like, hey, let the kids come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like them. Let these kids come to me. He he loved children. And so if he doesn't mean be like kids in the way that they're sweet and innocent because they're not, and he doesn't mean be like kids because they're gullible and naive because they're not. You guys are pretty smart, actually. What does Jesus mean when he says, we have to become like children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so what I would love for us to examine today and consider is that maybe what Jesus meant had something more to do with how children were observed in his culture at the time he spoke this than it does in ways that we imagine he would talk about children today. And so context is huge. Any time we get to scripture, Anytime we are trying to understand anything, context is important. What context means is that we examine all the things going on around it too, right? What context means when we're reading a verse means that we also include the verses around that as well, but we also understand or we try to understand the context of the culture that this was set in. Like what was going on? And so if we back up and we get some of that context, right before all this happened in chapter 17, Jesus was just telling his disciples, his followers, that he was going to have to die once they got to Jerusalem. They're, they're approaching Jerusalem, the like, center of where their faith is found, right? This is where the temple is. And they're on their way there. And in their minds, they're thinking, Jesus, he's the Messiah, right? What that meant was the the rescuing warrior king who would come and set them free. Maybe we are on our way to go do battle against Rome and against the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus is going to make us a great nation again, Israel. But then they hear him say, he's going to die there. 
Like, yeah, we're going into battle. He might die. So Jesus, what happens if you die? Who's in charge? Remember, that's the context of the question here. Chapter 8, they asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going who's gonna to take over if you go? Who gets to rule? Who gets to be in charge here? That context is where Jesus starts talking about little children. Right? His disciples, his followers are like, hey, which of us gets to call the shots? And Jesus goes, hey, let's, let's get a little kid up here. Come here. Do you see this little one? Forget about being in charge of the kingdom. If you even want to get in, he says, you need to turn from that and become like this. That word he uses there is the same word used for repent. Remember we talked about that? How repentance is to turn away from one way of thinking and move toward, turn toward a new way of living life, a new way of thinking and being. Jesus is saying the same thing here that he said much earlier in Matthew that we've been going through, right? Where he says, repent, turn, and believe because the kingdom of heaven is here. And he's saying here now, probably a couple years later to his disciples, they've been living life with him day in, day out, seeing him perform miracles, hearing him preach good news to people, watching him feed people who needed to eat and heal people who were sick or hurt, hearing all of his teachings. And he has to say to them again, repent from that, turn away from that, and turn toward this. Become this way for the kingdom of heaven. Which is a great, like, it's, it's, it's very good for my soul to see that. Because I feel like every single day, I have to be reminded of the same thing. And so to hear that the people who walked with Jesus and ate with Jesus and listened to him day in and day out, they still needed to be reminded of truth constantly. That's a nice grace for me because I need the same thing. Don't you? To be reminded of truth constantly. Turn away from that. Turn back to this. This is where life is. This is where truth is. This is where freedom is found. And so what is that? What is the thing Jesus is telling them to turn toward? Turn away from that way of thinking. Who's going to be in power? Who's going to be in control? How can I get mine? And he's saying, turn from that. Become like this. And he pulls a child up there. So again, context. That was, that was our text context. Now our cultural context. What's going on around here? And what we have to understand is the place that children had in that culture, in that society. Here's the pecking order, okay? Because it, 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 we live in a culture where we try to say everybody is equal, right? But in this culture, first of all, if you were Caesar, there's nobody else above you, right? You're the Roman emperor. You're in control, right? Under, underneath that, if you're any Roman official, under that, if you're a Roman soldier, you, you keep going. If you're a Roman male, right? Then if you're a Roman female who's married and has kids, then 
if you're a Roman, just born a Roman at all. Like those are the people on top, right? But they're trying to come and overthrow that, they think. And, and so we're going to now take charge and take control. And so even in the Jewish culture, there was still a pecking order. You had the king of the Jewish people, King Herod at the time. But you also had the religious leaders. You had the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. You had those people who were in charge of things at the temple, right? And then if you, if you kept going down that order, you had any Jewish male, especially those who had children. The more children you had, the more honor you had in your culture. So then for women, if you were to get honor and receive some type of recognition in society, then you were a married woman who gave your husband a lot of children, right? You would be next in line underneath that. But if you were a married woman who could not have kids, you bear a little more shame. You fall underneath that category. Or if you were a single woman, not yet married, no kids, even more shame. Or if you were a single woman, not married, but had kids, you better go hide. But you know who's underneath all of those people? The children. Because even the wife, who is essentially property to the husband, had authority over the children. So what does that mean for kids? What Jesus is saying is, you want to be the greatest? You want to have power and control over others? Forget who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You don't even get in unless you make yourself. You turn away from that and you become like the least of these. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it should have been, you guys. And Jesus definitely isn't saying that's the way it should be. But I'm saying this is what it was. And Jesus is speaking to a culture where he knows this is how it is. And what he does in that process is he doesn't say this is where children need to be. What he does is he actually brings them up and elevates them. He highlights and honors them. And he says, actually, to live life in the kingdom It's recognizing that you are not on the top. It's recognizing that you cannot do things with your own accomplishments, your own skills, your own education, your own understanding of of the scriptures, your own good deeds. You cannot do all that to qualify you to get in a place where you are now above others. But when you recognize that you are in complete need, and when you recognize that you have a role of serving, of caring for. That's when you see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, how, how, who's the greatest here? Who gets to rule in your absence? Who gets to have authority over other people? And Jesus says, no, 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 you got this backwards. You got it all twisted. Who gets to serve other people is the right question. Who gets to honor others? Who gets to give of themselves so that others would be blessed? Here's the thing. Kids, they had a role in this culture, even though they were on the bottom of the food chain, so to speak. Right? Even though they had no power and authority of their own, they had a 
tremendous role. Again, the more kids, the more honor to those parents, right? But those kids also had jobs. They, they would work. My son just asked me earlier, Dad, when I'm 14, can I work full-time at Cultivate? I was like, bro, you're going to be going to school still, right? We don't do that in our culture, right? Maybe unless you grew up on a farm, then you might have experienced some of this. But the kids in this culture, they were all working. They all had a role, and they were serving. And everything they did, it was building up the status and the income and the livelihood of their parents, particularly their father. Jesus is saying, I want you to serve people in this way where it's not building up your own kingdom, but it's building up others around you. But there's something else too that he's trying to help us see in children in that moment. Because another fact about children, another reality about them is that everything that they got, everything they had, they received as a gift. And I don't mean that like in a super altruistic way, like kids are just so grateful all the time that whenever you give them something, like, oh, thank you for this gift, right? Parents, again, how many of you know sometimes when you give something to your kid, they aren't always super grateful, right? They're like, is this it? (laughs) So I don't mean it in that way. What I mean is they didn't earn it and it's not their own. So anytime a child puts food in their mouth, it's because a parent paid for it. Anytime a child puts clothes on their body, it's because somebody, whether it's a parent or some type of adult who's caring for them, provided that. Right? That's still true for us today. I always thought it was weird. Even when I was in junior high as a kid, I thought it was weird when people would make fun of other kids for the clothes they wore. And I even started saying things like, oh, hey, where do you work? When someone would say something mean to another kid about their clothes. Oh, where do you work? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, how'd, how'd you afford to buy those Nikes? Like, My mom bought these for me. Exactly, bro. Like, you didn't get to do that. Like, th- they have no choice. They're dependent on the other person who's working a job. They don't control how much they make or how they spend their money or what shoes they buy them. Like we, that's the reality of kids, right? That's just the reality. Everything you have is because somebody else did for you. And I think there's a beauty in that because that's true for us adults in here too. But we kind of fool ourselves into thinking it's not. Every time you wake up and take a breath in the morning is because your father, God, put breath in your lungs. Every time you're able to go to work that day, it's because he has given you a brain and he has given you a body able to do those things. Everything we have is a gift from God, not one that we earned, not one that we accumulated in our own power. Jesus is saying, you you really want to be in the kingdom Recognize you have nothing to bring into the kingdom. Recognize you have nothing to offer that'll get you there. You want to be in control and have power with what? With what army? You enter into the kingdom in a posture of a child that says, I'm in need. Would you feed me? I'm in need. Would you clothe me? I'm in need. 
Would you welcome me in and shelter me? Now, here's the really good news, you guys. Because unfortunately, in the broken world we live in, there's a reality that a lot of kids experience that need and they don't have those needs met all the time, do they? But we have a really, really good father who when we come to him and we recognize that need and we say, here I am, God, That's a God who wants to give to us. He's a father who welcomes us in and embraces us, who does care for us, who does provide our daily needs. And even even right now in the midst of the brokenness of this world, we can still turn to him and trust that he'll provide. But how much more so when we see the fullness of his kingdom? How much more so in the kingdom of heaven, when we sit down at this banquet table to feast with our God. God's saying, come and be my children and sit at my table and eat with me. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The king, right? And what did the king do? The king came and made himself a servant. Jesus is the fullness of God. God himself come in the form of a what? A little child. Jesus isn't asking anything from us that he didn't do himself first, right? You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Turn and become like a child. Jesus, the one who made all things in the universe, made himself a frail infant, becoming a child. And then even as as he grew and became a man, He constantly gave of himself for others to the point where he gave up his very life. And that as he was there on the cross, dying and bleeding, and with his last few breaths, he says, Father, the Father he taught us all to pray to, our Father in heaven, Father, would you forgive them? They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus, the King of all things, became a servant like a child. And because of that, he then invites us in as children too. And so as we go to the table today, as we eat together and we share a meal together, we remember our need, our bodies need food to survive. We remember the God who provides and meets that need for us. But we also remember as we metaphorically break bread together, As we do that, we remember the God who had his body broken for us. After making himself a child, he took on the form of a servant and he gave his very life for our sake so that we could enter into the kingdom as loved children who have a place at the table, whose needs are met and who are provided for greatly and abundantly and far beyond anything you could ever ask for. This kingdom, uh, some people often refer to as an upside down kingdom because it seems so opposite from the way the rest of the world functions, right? But it's really the right side up. It's the way things are supposed to be. We've just gotten so topsy-turvy. We need to turn from that, flip our mindset and recognize that the greatest of all, 
the king, made himself a servant. And now we, in his likeness, we humble ourselves to serve him and to serve others around us so that people would see the kingdom and be welcomed in as children. Amen?